Speaking here, speaking. Anomalous experience, peculiar, uncanny, potentially supernatural. Like all the language doesn't really speak to it properly, but that began for me very early. Uh, I had a lot of experiences that were very powerful. And I knew as a very young child that I should shut my mouth and not tell anyone about it. You are listening to Raw Material, a podcast by SF Momo. I'm Raw Simonini, your host for a season of Art and the Unknown. I think of ghosts as presents. But I also think that ghosts are mutable. They're not static. The poet Elizabeth Robinson wrote a book called On Ghosts, investigating her own experiences and sensitivities to the unknown. I mean, I feel like there's uh, layers of presence at all times that we choose or choose not to perceive or we become adept. The book is filled with her doubts and hesitance to believe in the existence of such paranormal occurrences, alongside descriptions of her own profound, unexplainable communions. So even if a ghost were to return to a literal site, I don't know that it's exactly the same presence from time to time. I also, I'm not sure that ghosts are always people. For me, often sites or places are haunted and often in a very welcoming hospitable way so does that make a place a ghost it seems possible to me artists sensitize themselves to the world this is the refinement of their craft they're opening themselves up to everything especially the intuitive the parts of the world that evade rational description This is rich, raw material for an artist. And today we'll be hearing some irrational, paranormal experiences from artists, and about a few artworks that emerged from harnessing the paranormal. The music you are hearing now and throughout the show was transmitted to an English psychic named Rosemary Brown, who died in 2001. In the 70s, Brown caused a sensation with her claims that she could communicate with the spirits of long-dead composers who dictated musical works, which she then transcribed. According to Brown, the visitations began when she was just seven years old. The 19th century Hungarian composer Franz Liszt came to her and told her that he would make her famous one day. Decades later, when she was an adult, he returned and transmitted to her his newest compositions music that had never been heard before. What made her claims all the more astonishing is that she claimed to have never studied music and had only amateur skills at the piano. But she produced many works and communed with ghosts of over a dozen composers, Bach, Chopin, Brahms, Schumann. She insisted that she hadn't written any of the work, merely served as the conduit. For her, the act of speaking to the dead was her art. 
Like Rosemary Brown, Elizabeth Robinson began having ecstatic paranormal moments as a young girl. And this kind of sensitivity continued into adulthood and has been an essential influence on her art. about the book, there was an older man who became a real problem in my life and was obtrusive with my sons and really problematic, kind of in as much as he was able to do so, he was stalking me. Um, So I had to really make it difficult for him to make any contact. And um, I dealt with this situation for about nine months. And then in the last couple days of the year, in the year that this transpired, I just sat down and just wrote, 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 wrote a series of poems about it. And it was really like kind of vomiting up a psychic hairball, like, just get it out of my system. And then um, on New Year's Eve, I went to sleep and my son was not feeling well. So, you know, I was anticipating that I might have to get up and attend to him. And at some point in the night, I had, because it was December 31st and it was cold, I pulled the blankets up around my face and um, a hand just aggressively swiped the the sheet down from, the blanket down from my face. So I thought perhaps it was my son. I sat up and no one was there. So I thought, okay, I did that myself then, I guess. So I laid back down again, and it was just drifting off, and the blanket was really torn from my face again, really aggressively. And and I was then afraid. I perceived something was going on, and I almost, I mean, my experience of presences like this is not typically visual, um, but... I felt like there was almost like smog in the room and that there was a part of the room that felt more opaque and dirty and also that it was a kind of a standoff and that I was in a presence with someone who was pissed off at me. And so I just waited it out and eventually it subsided and I thought, okay, I'm no longer with this presence and later that morning somebody called and said you know you'll be relieved to know that this man died I had a guest uh, for dinner one evening, and it was time to go. The the evening was over. And I needed to take my guest to get back to San Francisco. This this was in Oakland. And so I uh, excused myself uh, uh, to freshen up before leaving. As I went to my sink to wash my hands, there was a uh, fingernail brush on the counter of the sink. India Cook is an improvisational jazz violinist living in Oakland. 
She's played with Sun Ra. She's lived in a variety of haunted houses in the area and has a spectrum of stories, including this one, which took place in the house where we were speaking. There are two different kinds of fingernail brushes. There's that, just the square, plain square kind that you hold like a block in your hand, and then there's the other that has a hook that you can hook your fingers around and use. The one that I had on my sink was the kind with the hook. Okay, now this is very important. That I had guests in the house. My house was spotless. I mean, the, there was, I was just, you could have eaten off the floor. That's the kind of thing it was. Now I'm saying this to say, to set up what the situation was in this bathroom at the sink. There was no um, wet surface, no anything. Everything was pristine, dry, everything. I was getting ready to reach to the sink handle to turn on the water. Before my hand could get to the handle to turn on the water, the fingernail brush began to turn into what was to be a, it finished its 360 degree turn, stood up and flipped over. We both started screaming and dancing and carrying on, but it was witnessed with someone else. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that was just one of a zillion things that happened in that house. I had asked a light worker, he was like, why is this happening here? Because you believe in this stuff. If somebody else didn't believe it, there's, there, they wouldn't see it. They wouldn't be able to see these kinds of things or events happening. Now, that doesn't explain why my guests saw it. I, I don't know. I mean, it was just so amazing that this happened. Recognition seems to me to be a mode of haunting, that you, you dimly perceive something and then realize that you actually recognize it. It's not new to you. It's intrinsic. It's there. And you you can open yourself and choose to connect with it, to, to deeply recognize it, and, you know, in a sense, become one with it. To me, the idea of something being haunted really just means that it's imbued somehow by some invisible entity. And I think the idea of that scares people. Mickey Pellerano is an artist and a cultist. Like some invisible thing is is dwelling within this house or within this urn, or but I think it's exciting and not scary at all. And and what a great honor, you know, if my house were to be haunted. A haunting is often out of our control, and that's what can be frightening about it. We don't want a wild presence running loose in our house or urn. We want a tame one, a cultivated one. And when you start trying to control supernatural presence, this, of course, is magic. It's an ancient practice of, of really trying to get some sort of celestial, supernatural, immaterial force to indwell an object, like a sculpture, say. If an object can hold a spirit, then an artwork can hold a spirit, or it can control one. And some artists may purposely want to use an artwork to do so. A kind of talisman filled with trapped presence. According to those who practice magic, 
Any attempt to control a spirit comes with risks. The manifestation might be dark. The magic could turn black. In this way, objects can actually become cursed. Curses work, you know? Magic works. If you want to harm somebody through magic, it's very easy and possible to do, you know? And, and some people would find pleasure in that or, or feel justified in doing that. And maybe they are. In the late 90s, the sculptor Tom Friedman wanted to use magic as a medium. Much of his work is about an obsessive attention to materials. And in this case, he wanted to make an immaterial sculpture, an artwork that was nothing but presence. He arrived at a piece he called a curse, which appears to be an empty pedestal, just a white base with no sculpture. But Friedman claims that the sculpture on top of the pedestal is invisible, a floating ball of air he had cursed by a witch. It needed to have kind of a location and, a, and a, a, some formal quality. So the stipulation that I gave to the witch was that it was an 11-inch spherical space 11 inches above the pedestal. So it would be formally kind of the lightest, airiest sculpture possible and have visually some kind of... I mean, if you, so you're looking at something that is either there or not there, depending on your belief system. He was toying around with the notion of an artwork constructed only from belief. But to casually experiment with this kind of dark magic is a dangerous thing. And the witch said as much to him. I, I told them what I wanted, and they said to me, If you affect, you will burn your little fingers. And I said, What? And then they said, if you affect, you will burn your little fingers. And I was, okay. I think that you don't play around with that stuff. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I'm talking to someone who exists in that world, and it's not a question of believing or not. It is real to them. So when I made the crate for this pedestal, you know, I... I wasn't going to have just the pedestal in a crate. I needed to tell a lot for that curse. I didn't want it, you know, who knows what kind of residual factor it would have, you know, bumping up against everything. Because the pedestal was its, like, grounding point. And so wherever it went, the pedestal went, the, the curse would go. At least that's the, what I asked them to do. You know, I, I, I mean, I was kind of scared of it. And then when things, bad things happened to me, I would be like, did I get too close to that or what happened? It's just this really ethereal sculpture. And it's just floating there above this pedestal. How can it do that? I mean, it's not using magnets or, it's, or, or monofilament. It's not hanging there, you know, with uh, air or anything. It's just there.
art is not simply an object, or an action, or a piece of music. It requires belief. On the part of the artist, the viewer, the critic, the curator, everyone who encounters it. We have to believe that the artwork contains something, some trace of life, that it transmits something worth our time and energy and understanding, something that can affect us. When you make something and you know you've succeeded, you're like, this isn't just a, an object. There's something inside here, you know, something invisible, something energetic. I, I think the idea of a spirit imbuing an object is kind of the essence of great art and the, the ultimate goal of great art, you know, is trying to indraw some life force into this object that you've touched or that you've created. and haunt because it, it gives you a visual image that is not part of the original artwork. You can smell it. You can taste it. It manifests outside of any kind of rational, empirical presence. Raw Material, Season 1 has been produced by the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and me, Ross Simonini. All the music you heard today was transmitted by Rosemary Brown. This episode's interview with Tom Friedman was conducted by Andrew Leland. This brings our first season to a close. It's been my pleasure to host a season of Art and the Unknown. Thank you for listening. There was this woman, disembodied woman, who would sit on the stairs that led from my kitchen down into the laundry room, and she would sit and moan and groan. It was the weirdest, freakiest sound ever. <laughs>